Welcome back to Twilight. Twilight. Before we jump in to uh, the next chapter of Twilight, you will have heard our really shiny new intro song there by the really musically talented Jack Hinks. You should go and check out his other stuff. He's a really cool musician. He's um, very good. He's a great friend of ours, but also he's got a podcast at the moment because everyone and their bloody mum's got a podcast, <laughs> um, which is like talking about being a musician in a kind of post-COVID world. So It's real good. It's really good. I thought we should do like a little recap of what happened last time because it's been a while. Okay. <laughs> um, so obviously the last time she met Edward Cullen. Yeah. And they had their first conversation. Yeah. Which we painstakingly almost did like a table read of. Yeah. <laughs> and it was the most boring chat of all time. I mean, their chat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hopefully not our chat. Yeah. But it was like, <laughs> why are you here? Because I, my mum remarried. Do you like the rain? No! Um, and the other thing that was really important between our last episode and this episode was we had to settle the crucial question, which is, um, Bella referred to missing the feel of the institution. So, iconic phrase. Yes, I took to Twitter and I asked the people what the feel of the institution sounded like to them. And I did offer a few options, but um, the one that won was um, Thatcher synth band. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) My other options were like what the Tories would call corporal punishment. Yeah. Like bringing back the cane in schools. Uh, The Queen was an option. Yeah. The feel of the institution could be the Queen. I think it's the kind of thing that, you know, John Lithgow playing Churchill would say on The Crown. Um, I can't remember what the other option we gave was. What was the other feel of the institution? The feel of the institution. Tell me once I won't tell you again. I genuinely, like, since we recorded that episode, and that was a good month or so now away, I literally just sing that to myself all the time. Catch myself going like, and then I'm like what is that where did I listen to that to and then I remember it was me it was my own brain (laughs) reacting to the brain of Stephanie Meyer who in turn was reacting to the brain of Muse and Matt Bellamy yeah do you think if we get famous enough we could commission Matt Bellamy to sing The Feel of the Institution (laughs) I mean we're going to have to get real famous off the back of this. Yeah, oof, it's rough. <laughs> yeah. That's what the other, the other field of the institution was, a forgotten and rant novel. Oh, jeez. I think we're just slightly depressed going into this next chapter because... Uh, it's to- a lot. <laughs> the Tory feel of the institution is quite real in, yeah. uh, in Britain right now. So yeah, it's a bleak day for Twilight. That's um, that's something we can say about all the characters in Twilight so far. They're all better than a Tory government. Wow. I thought you thought Bella was a Republican, though. Oh, yeah, she's a Republican. Everyone except Bella is better than a Tory government. I really need this to give me some solace today, because the, 
like the world is just kind of depressing me but i'm gonna be honest i'm i'm skeptical okay i'm skeptical anyway let's jump into chapter three phenomenon phenomenon you remember what you thought phenomenon referred to last time I asked you, based on that one word, what you thought this chapter would be about? Oh, it's been a while, so no, not really. You said phenomenon referred to two things, and it was the weather or bees, because they were both, quote, phenomenon. Yeah, okay. Um, I feel like... I feel like I'd probably change that answer now. I'd probably... Uh, no, no, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to stick with it. I am going to hold out hope that a swarm of bees just spells out... Better. Dump him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just dump him. You're better than this. So, the chapter opens with Bella waking up, and she looks out her window, and the snow uh, from last chapter, which will remember caused much excitement at the school... Mm has completely frozen over and she tells us that she feels really excited to go to school but that feeling scares her because she knew it wasn't quote the stimulating learning environment i was anticipating or seeing my new set of friends if i was being honest i knew i was eager to get to school because i would see edward cullen and that was very very stupid simp That hang on, is she saying that the school's rubbish again? No. Is she like this? I I expected higher learning, the feel of the institution. What I got was this hot trash. I just can't imagine a teenager saying the sentence, or like the phrase "stimulating learning environment." Like yeah. I enjoy a stimulating learning environment. That is the kind of thing that, like, if you're reading a policy about education. That's what they say children need, and they put it in quotes like, I need a simulating learning environment, and it's a picture of like a toddler with like really sticky hands or whatever. Yeah. But no actual person under the age of 40 is using that phrase. Yeah. Which, which particular word is it? Like, except for me, it's stimulating. For me, I've it's... never heard a teenager be like, this is stimulating. <laughs> for me, it's actually environment, because she's not referring to a particular class. You know, she's not like, I was excited to go to school because I really love English. Yeah. You know, my stimulating English class, I think, could have just slipped under my radar. But stimulating learning environment. Yeah. It's like the feel of the institution. Like... The more I read this book... The it's more like it's clear the... that it was written by a 40-year-old woman. <laughs> the more and more... I don't know how old Stephanie Meyer was when she wrote these. I'm guessing. I'm going to say 40. I don't think so. 30? Let's look, let's look it up. How old Stephanie Meyer Twilight? Well, I want you to guess how old Stephanie Meyer is now. Now? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to say she's in like her late 40s. She's 46. Oh, late 40s. So right. you're absolutely correct. So... So, wait, these books came out in the 2000s, so we're looking at early 30s? So, 2005, she would have been uh, 32. 32? 30, well, 32 for most of the year, because she's a December baby. December baby! We share the same birthday. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
I think I did. I actually, do you know the reason I know that is because when I was at university, I went to a birthday party where you had to dress up as someone who shared a birthday with you. Mm-hmm. And me and my flatmate were actually both born on Christmas Eve. Yeah. So I suggested that we go as like me as Mary, really pregnant, and him as Jesus, like. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just. Um, but in the end, what we did is he went as Louis Tomlinson, and I went as Stephanie Meyer. Fair enough. But uh, I went as like a Twilight vampire because I was like Stephanie Meyer. Like, how do you dress up as Stephanie Meyer? Just hold a copy of Twilight and wear a red cashmere jumper, I guess. Yeah. But I was like, I went as a Twilight vampire. <laughs> People were like, "But you don't share a birthday with Twilight," and I was like, "Yeah, but that's not how like costumes work." Yeah. You gotta act like if I if you if you went dressed like accurately as Stephanie Meyer, they'd be like, "What's this?" young person doing in the old clothes. Yeah, like, my friend who went as Louis Tomlinson wore a One Direction shirt. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think Louis Tomlinson hops around wearing a t-shirt of his own face. Yeah. If he does, I'll power to him, that's Although, fine. I mean, if if I had official like merchandise which had my face on it, I probably would wear it just to, for the lols. I really like the idea of you having official merch and it's a t-shirt um, and it's like you know when the design's like coming out of a pocket? Yeah. And it's just a tiny you coming out of a pocket? I'd love that. We should make that happen. We should make that happen. Um, I think <laughs> I would buy one and you would buy one. But, Nobody else. <laughs> well, but seeing as we're buying them, we get the money so they're free. That's how it works, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's a step missing there, but I don't want to correct it. I want to live in that world. <laughs> Artists can fix the economy. Come on! <laughs> Maybe you should retrain in cyber marketing that's true maybe i should go back to a stimulating learning environment maybe you should speaking of stimulating learning environment is like the tagline of university oh god it's like um a vision of excellence or like you know when there's like a striving to be better it's just like it's a slight hint of sadness behind it the brochure is just like pictures of people laughing on a lawn outside an old building and then like the bullet points are just like things you kind of would take for granted at university like Mm. stimulating learning environment great lecturers many classes to choose from and you're like this isn't a selling point like this is your job as a university (laughs) this is what you're meant to do (laughs) i wonder what exact class you find stimulating though like was it biology because she's getting taught by the incredible hulk Hulk woman. no believe woman can do science. <laughs> woman no have correct mitosis answers. That was just an odd that was an odd moment. Like a student gets the right answer and you instantly go, Well, you can't have done that. You're a wom. <laughs> a wom? Yeah. Is that like a funny pronunciation of womb, or is it like women are part wombat? Um it's uh, it How was did a... you know? <laughs> All this time, I was doing Three my wombats and a trench coat. I was doing my square poos and burying under the foundations of our house, and finally, you cottoned on to my massive snoot. <laughs> oh man, wombats are so good. This isn't my girlfriend. This is three marsupials. <laughs> How did you get here from Australia? Me. <laughs> I don't know what noise a wombat makes. That was good. That's um, a good one. <laughs> but Bella. <laughs> Bella tells us like so the reason that it's stupid to want to see Edward Cullen because she doesn't know Edward Cullen is dangerous yet like we know he's dangerous because we know he's a vampire but she's like oh it was so so stupid that I wanted to go to school to see a boy and it's like was it or was it just being a teenage girl 
Yeah. Or was it just like, handsome man? Like, look at handsome man. Yeah, look at pretty face. <laughs> Reason advertising exist. Yeah. Like looking at pretty thing. Yeah. Want do, pretty thing in house. Hang on, do we know that Edward's a vampire? Not yet, stage? no. No. So this is just like, oh, it's so stupid, this hunky boy. Doug, she has no idea he's a vampire. No, but do we, the reader, know? No. No hint. Okay, no no hints at all. He's just spooky. I mean, I'm guessing spooky we've like... Spooky pale boy. I mean, if we've not read the back cover... Where it says, Edward's a vampire. It, I mean, it literally does. It says, uh, about three things I was absolutely positive. First, Edward was a vampire. Cool. So... <laughs> yeah, so not exactly the big the big surprise that it's going to be for, for Bella. Yeah, but we know that. But also because we know that because everyone knows Twilight. It's like no one yeah. picks up Harry Potter and they're like, what? A wizard? <laughs> Don't spoil it. He's a fucking wizard. What? A transphobe. <laughs> anyway. So, Bella is like, oh, it's so stupid that I want to go to school because of this handsome boy. <laughs> These hunky boys. No, no, hunky boy. Hunky boy singular because one of them, there's only three boys in this school. There's the golden retriever, <laughs> the fucking nerd. And hunky Edward and his brothers. It's good that you brought them up because um, she actually goes on to, to kind of distract herself as she's driving to school. Instead of thinking about Edward, she reflects on Mike and Eric and wonders if they think that she's attractive because they didn't watch her grow up. So it's like, oh, you've not seen me at my most awkward. So you just see the end product. It's an odd moment of like self-reflection from Bella considering that like two chapters ago she was like ugh these boys they want to just help me out all the time they're so pathetic yeah I think it is an interesting point that you know you do it is harder to find someone attractive if you've seen them like poop themselves as a toddler right yeah (laughs) (laughs) or like there's people in your head that you'll always be like like friends of mine's younger brothers even though they're now like what in their 20s their Mm. early 20s or something i i just look at that picture and i'm like but that's not you i remember you when you were six and you were that really annoying little brother that followed us around yeah so i think what she's trying to say here is they find her attractive because they've she's new and she's novel but they also don't have like any previous associations of her that would make them look at her in a, a different way hmm. maybe what Bella is cottoning on to here is the Madonna whore <laughs> complex <laughs> of feminism where you either see women as a Madonna saintly you know whether that's when they're children or you know because hmm. they, they haven't had sex um, or you see them as uh, too sexy too much <laughs> you know they're yeah. sluts um, and then the third one to that obviously is like mothers who are kind of supposed to be neither it's like you're allowed mm. to have had sex have a baby but after that like no no stop mm. we don't we don't want to hear about it you're married you you have you follow man um, so maybe what Bella is saying here if we give her a generous reading <laughs> just heaping on that benefit of the doubt just <laughs> shoveling it in to the big inferno that is this this book <laughs> I like that you had a spade metaphor because I imagined you know when you go to Mary's Milk Bar this is a deep cut Edinburgh reference for anyone who doesn't live in Edinburgh it's an ice cream gelato place and it's amazing but the way they serve the ice cream is they don't use like a scoop they use what looks like a palette knife 
and they just like slather it on and you order two scoops and you come out of there being like I've had a banquet um, that's how much benefit of the doubt I'm giving I'm layering on with a Mary's Milk Bar palette knife and uh, Mary's Milk Bar seems we gave you a shout out on our podcast which is reaching as far as Korea maybe you should sponsor us by giving us some ice cream um, <laughs> real subtle <laughs> invitation for sponsorship there if Mary phones me tomorrow can you imagine that? I'd be like, I didn't know you listened. And how did you get this? Not, I don't care. <laughs> I've always listened. <laughs> oh, um, I'm really glad Mary of Mary's Milk Bar does exist. Like, I'm yeah. glad it's not a situation where you're like, oh, I love Ricky's Diner. Who is Ricky? And they're like, oh no, we just picked a name. And you're yeah. like, oh, but I want to meet Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you pretend he's a person when he's not real? <laughs> But back to my point, maybe what Bella is is saying here is these men have never viewed her as the Madonna, the innocent. So the way they can relate to her is always going to be sexual. Okay. I don't think that's what Stephanie Meyer is no. saying. I think it's I think it's Bella just being like. I think it's what I would try and argue if I was writing an English lit essay. Oh yeah, you got it. You got it chance you're on but like this is very clearly just I wonder which of the boys fancies me Bella (laughs) the protagonist of this story but also it's like a it's like another way that Bella puts herself down because that's her constant thing is like as a young adult teen female protagonist she can't find herself attractive because then she's quote not relatable Mm. you know because teenage girls all think badly of themselves it's something like 98% of young women don't think they're pretty. That's sad. Yeah. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba! <laughs> it's why, like, every protagonist in a young adult fiction is like, I just have mousy hair and brown eyes. Yeah. It's like, let's try and make the most vanilla yogurt type of person <laughs> so that everyone can relate. It's kind of like the um, the acting theory where it's just like the... The hero is just like a blank slate mm. for the audience to project onto. Often white as well, because we're taught that like, you know, these white kids won't relate to someone who's not also white. And it's like, well, great, yeah. we'll just ask all the children of colour, you know, the children who are people of colour to relate to white kids forever then and yeah. never see themselves reflected back. What a great system that is. I can't possibly see that going wrong. <laughs> I'm so full of rage today. Like, yeah. I was like, this is going to give me so much solace. And instead I've just gone like, Twilight is the absolute epitome of the racist patriarchy. (laughs) So when Bella reaches her truck, she realises that um, Charlie has attached some snow tyres to the wheels. Good guy, Charlie. And um, I wanted to read this. Quote, My throat suddenly felt tight. I wasn't used to being taken care of and Charlie's unspoken concern caught me by surprise. Now... That's really nice, isn't it? That's a that's a sweet little moment. It's a sweet little moment that like Charlie has obviously got up in the morning, noticed that the snow has frozen over, and just gone and put these chains on her collar automatically. But also, I don't feel like that should make you tear up because it is kind of a base level parenting thing, and yeah. it makes me really sad that she's like, I'm not used to being taken care of when she's like, you know. She's still 16. Like, she's, yeah, she's a child. She should be taken care of. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
when was the last time she was taken care of? Like, like when she was a toddler? <laughs> like, yeah, I guess. Like, when she was real small. That just makes me kind of sad. She hit, she hit 11 and it was just like, alright, Bella, you're on your own now. <sighs> Try not to burn yourself or cut yourself on this soup tin. <laughs> just the soup tin <laughs> the what? real sharp tin of Campbell's oh, I don't know all these klutzy young adult fiction girls yeah. who are it's like oh, I'm so butterfingered and clumsy but when it comes to the fight scene I'll be able to outskill all these trained men at Mortal Kombat <laughs> yeah that just made me I just I wanted to pick that out because I think there's a uh, promotion of young women who can take care of themselves in these books which is not inherently a negative thing you know Mm. teenage girls do have a lot of agency and or or you know at least should be able to have that agency and be able to look after themselves but at the same time i feel that twilight sometimes notches that up too far where it creates the idea that bella has kind of parented herself um you know at least a little bit in a way that actually makes me feel quite deeply sad and the fact that she has looked after her mother, um, and that's not like because she's a young carer. It just seems like it's because her mum is incompetent. It does make me want to shake her mum a little bit and be like, how ditzy is her mum that she has to look after both of them? Hmm. Um, it does. It just makes me a, a bit sad. But also, I feel like it's setting up this way that it's like, this woman has never like been taken care of and now a man's going to come along and take care of her. And it's it just... There's other ways to get that fulfillment. If you're not getting it from your parents, you know, why doesn't Bella have hobbies? I know she does develop them, kind of... She she reads, and I guess that she does, like, the motorcycle stuff in book two. But it's like... It's obvious that she's just not very... We all need to be taken care of, but that shouldn't be by one person who exerts a level of control over us because of that. Hmm. We need to be taken care of through our friendships and our communities and um, our hobbies. And we also need to take care of ourselves and we need to give back to others. And that's kind of a big cycle of how we flourish as human beings. But it does just make me... (laughs) It's like way too much analysis over like Charlie putting snow tires on her truck. Hmm. But just the way that she's like, no one ever takes care of me. I'm just like, oh... Is that why you're like a mini baked Republican that thinks society yeah. is dead? Because <laughs> I saw someone tweet that actually that like um, the mentality behind conservatism is that like they just don't get enough love as children and then they can't empathize. <laughs> a big issue with Tories is like a lot of them. You know, if you're in Parliament, there's a high chance you came from kind of a richer background, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're conservative and, you know, you probably were taken away from your parents at quite a young age and then went to boarding school, which has played havoc with your ideal of attachment. Yeah. So it's like a very every man for himself. Oh, why did we have to come back to Tories? <laughs> I just want to think about Charlie waking up early and putting snow tires on his car. Let's just think about that for a moment. Just a nice little like mm. Mm, Charlie moment. Good dad. Hi, and welcome to the sleep story. <laughs> I'm Killian Murphy, and today we're going to share another Charlie moment with y'all to hopefully soothe you to sleep. We each spend 
a third of our lives asleep. So I hope today's created story about one father's love for his daughter through the medium of tire chains in the snow helps you to drift off into a more peaceful slumber. It was six o'clock. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's enough of that. <laughs> When Charlie rolls. We gotta move bed. on. We gotta move on. This is one sentence. Well, I hope you're nicely soothed. <laughs> <laughs> no. Because Bella gets to school and she gets out her truck and really quickly she sees mm-hmm. a truck speeding towards her that's like skidding on the ice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just insert the meme noise there. And, oh, if anyone's listening to that, like, if I can get the noise, I'll keep this bit in. But listen to that noise. And now, go and look at Zelda the cat on Twitter and tell me that that cat's face doesn't just personify that noise. (laughs) It's honestly such a joy to me to, like, zoom in on her face and be like... (laughs) It's so good. Anyway. A truck is speeding at Bella, and as Bella's, like seeing it come towards her she looks up and she sees that edward cullen is four cars away and the car is like slipping on the ice (laughs) hang on so like truck coming towards her her thought isn't ah big fucking truck it's edward's four cars away well (laughs) listen i'm gonna um i don't know if you know this dog but i actually have the physical copy of the book um, we're getting page turning we are getting page turning um, I went home to my well I went to my parents house where a lot of my books were stored because uh, in between uni I couldn't like carry all of them with me and I, I have a lot of books and I was like packing up all the books I wanted to save my mum was like I'm surprised you're keeping those Stephanie Myers and I was like kind of too ashamed to admit it was because I was doing a podcast about them so I was just <laughs> like well I feel they're a part of history you know <laughs> Nice. Smooth. <laughs> Meanwhile, Smooth. I was just chucking out like loads of classics that I read that I was like, I'm reading this again. <laughs> to the charity shop. Um So So yeah, um what happens is she tells us, um, quote, I saw several things simultaneously. Nothing was moving in slow motion the way it does in the movies. Instead, the adrenaline rushing to make my brain work much faster. And I was able to absorb in clear detail several things at once. Edward Cullen was standing four cars down from me, staring at me in horror. His face stood out from a sea of faces, all frozen in the same mask of shock. But of more immediate importance was the dark blue van that was skidding, tyres locked and squealing against the brakes, spinning wildly across the ice of the parking lot. It was going to hit the back corner of my truck and I was standing between them. I didn't have even have time to close my eyes. Okay, so there is a bit of self-preservation there. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that, that's good. I just wanted to, to clarify that because... I think it is. I think it's supposed to take you into that headspace of when you have that adrenaline rush, your mm. your body goes into like a different mode. Yeah. So I, I feel like... I, I like that... I appreciate Stephanie Meyer going, but it wasn't like the movies. Yeah. Because I am writing a piece of literature. Yeah, it didn't slow down. I sped up, thus creating the same effect. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> 
things didn't slow down. My brain was just faster and more superior, so I could notice several things at once. I noticed Edward four cars away, a, sh- a sea of shocked faces, and fiscal responsibility needing to be taken upon us. For I, Bella, am a Republican. <laughs> I noticed the lack of chain link fences in the school, the lack of metal detectors, the lack of the fuel. Oh, the institution. And then truck. <laughs> um, well, that could have been the end. That could have been it. <laughs> this is this forty-seven page novel? <laughs> maybe that. Maybe that's it. Maybe the truck was being driven by someone who's trying to go back in time. So there's someone stop the whole thing, or someone from another book series who's like, no, Percy Jackson. So, just before, it looks like the car is going to hit Bella. Yeah, Bella tells us. She, quote, heard the shattering crunch of the van folding around the truck bed and something hit me, hard, but not from the direction I was expecting. My head cracked against an icy black top and I felt something solid and cold pinning me to the ground. I was lying on the pavement behind the tan car I'd parked next to, but I didn't have a chance to notice anything else because the van was still coming. It had curled gratingly around the edge of the truck and still spinning and sliding, was about to collide with me again. Ugh. I really can't figure out how that's happening. Every time I try and rehearse the mechanics of that in my brain, like with a bird's eye view, I'm just like... So the car there's, was there's, like... There's so the not car a way was, to do this sensibly on a podcast, the but... The car was drifting towards her, parallel to her car. No, parallel to her car. Or was it driving... Was the snout of the car going to hit her on the side? Oh, I feel like isn't it turning... It's kind of spinning, so it's gonna. So if it's spinning clockwise, it's gonna hit oh, it the edge of her car and then spin around. So it's a sec- It's effectively like hitting her car and like spinning around her car. But if it spins around her car, wouldn't it hit the other side which she isn't on? But <laughs> something has happened clearly to stop it from its natural trajectory. So maybe so that's it was gonna spin and hit her somehow. Yeah. But and then, then it spun around her truck and I'm so confused as to how that happens. How does it spin around her truck and come back? Like is it a boomerang? Well no, because <laughs> she's in a different place. She's in front of a car that's next to her car. So, I was lying on the pavement behind the tan car I'd parked next to. Yeah, so like... Oh, I... Right. So she... So say she's on the left-hand side of the car. The car's driving at her, like spinning, spinning, mm-hmm. spinning, spinning. It's going to hit her. Something takes her around the car, her car, mm-hmm. and then the car is still spinning and going to hit from a different... Again, to me, physic in physics... How does that yeah, work? Well, it's going to hit the corner of her car and spin off in a direction. Mm-hmm. And the whole point is that it, it's continuing because it still has momentum. It's going to keep moving and spinning. How is it not destroying all the other cars in the car park if that's how it's moving? I don't know. Maybe it's just a car with a vengeance. The, the, the car that couldn't slow down. <laughs> Curled gratingly around the edge of the truck and was still spinning and sliding. I'm imagining the cars coming together like like I'm imagining she's in between another car and the car's spinning around and then it's going to come and clap her like a maraca yeah. like she's <laughs> between two cars and then it's like 
That's, I, honestly, I think it's something like that is actually what the, what she's suggesting. I think I need to watch the scene in the movie because I'm really... Well, the scene in the movie doesn't have this second encounter, as far as I can remember. But why does the book have it? That doesn't make sense to me. Because what's better than one thrilling engagement with death? Two thrilling engagements with death. Right, we're gonna we're gonna pause and we're gonna watch we're gonna watch the movie scene. Well, I'm gonna try and narrate what's happening so we can hopefully use it. So Bella is beside her car. Her car is parked so that uh, one side of it it's it's parked so like it's side it's, on with the car park. Yeah, and then the other side is on a grassy slope. So she's put her bag on the front hood she's seen Edward is really far away with his friend she's kind of staring and like popping her booty a little bit actually <laughs> maybe she's just shifting her weight she seems to be holding a twig in her hand don't know what that's about anyway she turns back to her bag and the truck is coming towards her and the guy is like wildly steering back and forward and yeah it's going to hit her side on but it's then Edward's there and he pushes it off See, that's not two. It's not two interactions. That's way one. more simple and obvious in the in the movie. He's also not lying down. And there's also no tan car. And then he just hops out and is like, bye. Which is weird to me. He's not even like, you okay? You alright? Did you were you hurt? Bella, I'm so sorry. I panicked. I don't remember him being part of the gang. No, he's like a side character, as we're about to see. And so so it, the, it plays out a bit differently in the movie, I think. We yeah, I think we go by what happened in the movie in our heads, because trying to decipher the passage in the book is just yeah madness. So after the car swings at her again, she, she tells us, um, a low oath made me aware that someone was with me, and the voice was impossible not to recognise. <laughs> a low oath by my trough. <laughs> a low oath. When I first read that, I was like, is this Jane Eyre? Did she just rip that from Jane Eyre? There's like old school euphemism for someone said shit. <laughs> or Aww, fuck. Oh, Stephanie Meyer didn't want to say fucko. <laughs> a low oath. Fuckity fuck. <laughs> ah, nips. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, I love the idea of vampires just being like, ah, nips. <laughs> See, here's the thing. What if the vampire... Well, okay, they definitely would because they go to public high schools. But just the image that the vampires, because they're so old, have never learned n- new swears. So they do like old timey swears. So it's like, <laughs> zounds. <laughs> uh, cribbins. <laughs> <laughs> God's wounds. This car is hefty. Oh, I'm gonna Google old timey swears. There used to be like a word for a thief was a montebank. <laughs> Bejeebers. Old timey cussing. Bejeebers. Kazar. Substitute for. Dad sizzle. A substitute for by Jesus that is similar to bejesus, but jabbier is bejabbers. Well, Dad Sizzlet was a way to show you meant business. Great horn spoon. Snails. <laughs> Just snails. No, it's shortening of by God's name. I know, but no one's gonna know that when you just exclaim snails. <laughs> 
By G. Rova Cripes. <laughs> By Saint Booger and all the saints at the backside door of Purgatory. They didn't really have a nice little brevity to them, did they, sometimes? <laughs> By the double barrel jumping Jimmy. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> it takes these people 20 minutes to swear. It's such a commitment to be rude. <laughs> So she has a low oath of by <laughs> snails. Snails. Dad sizzling snails. Snail. <laughs> We're gonna start doing that now. We're gonna bring it back. We should bring it back. Let's bring back snails as an exclamation. <laughs> she hears someone saying snails <laughs> and she see two she sees two long white hands shoot out protectively in front of her and the van shudders to a stop uh, a foot from my face the large hands fitting providentially into a deep dent in the side of the van's body so obviously edward cullen has saved her from an early grave yeah and she's it's like, how did you move so fast? Um, because obviously, you know, as she told us, she saw him four cars away. And he claims that she's just disorientated because she hit her hard really her he- she hit her head really hard when she um when she fell. Mm-hmm. And when she doesn't give in, he agrees to explain later. Um so it's quite a big scene at the school, obviously, and everyone's like kind of concerned onlookers. And then um uh, Chief Swan arrives. She calls him Chief Swan. Not um, Charlie. Well, she says, to make matters worse, Chief Swan arrived before they could get me safely away. Bella, he yelled in panic when he recognised me on the stretcher. I'm completely fine, Char. Dad, I sighed. Uh, just take a break, Bella, honestly. That's <laughs> really sad. Can't call. Char, I mean, Dad. Oh. Father! Oh. <laughs> just the sound of Charlie dying. Yeah, just dying a little Oof. inside. Oof! <laughs> Oof. Oh. It's just, it just, it really upset me. Charlie gets a rough deal on this. Yeah. She shows her all the love of the snow tire chains, which she obviously forgets about two pages later when she's yeah. just like, You're not my dad, you're just a char. Yeah. <laughs> Chief Swan before that. She'd rather refer to him by his job title than by his first name than by his, like, the fact that he's her dad. The idea of calling your dad by his title gives me really icky vibes of, like, you know chastity balls where you, like, dress in white and you have a chastity bracelet and it's like you're promising you're not going to have sex before marriage and then you, like, dance with your dad and you call him, like, Mr... His surname no, or like this Mr. Creepy as fuck. Mr. Dad or something. Yeah, it's like a really big thing in <laughs> Mr. America. Mr. Dad. <laughs> it's a really big thing in America. Um, also, Mr. Dad is obviously like the 
The more fangs equal to Mr. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a dad. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> this summer, Michael Keaton is... Just a dad. <laughs> coming. Coming too soon to soon near you. Um, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. On a Sunday. <laughs> so, we Batman reference there. From... Michael Keaton's Batman. Oh. It's all from Tim Burton's Batman. Anyway. It kind of comes a full circle though, doesn't it? Because now we're going to get Robert Pattinson's Batman. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, have you seen the picture of him though? Where he's like standing on a building and it makes him look really small and he's in like a bat poncho. <laughs> his big coat. Oh. Oh, I just, so good. I just love how not seriously he's taking it. Like, Yeah. He's just like, I could fuck this up. And that's amazing. Yeah, and everyone's just like, oh, please do a good job. And he's just like, uh, uh, <laughs> I might, uh. might not. Um, my, one of my favourite things to happen during lockdown is that um, he did an interview, like, um, I'll try and link this in the episode notes, but Robert Pattinson did an interview where he was talking about, like, they were like, oh, you're going to get buff for being Batman. He was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he apparently had a personal trainer who was like, begging him to do stuff and like set him all this equipment and he was like I'm not going to use it and just left it and he was like yeah. I went on the yoga ball once but I just don't see the point I'm just going to be me and I just like oh, I don't know what um, Robert Pattinson looks like now because you know he's quite gangly but I think in like uh, you know when he did Twilight I don't think he had abs or anything like that I think he had a tiny little pooch belly <laughs> And I mean pooch. like the tiniest pooch of all time because the man is very skinny, got a heroin cheek. Oh, <laughs> Batman with just a little pooch belly. <laughs> so good. I would like more of a pooch belly than there is currently. Um, I mean, I would be fully there for fat Batman or chubby Batman, just like full pooch. Yeah. Pooching about. <laughs> oh, it just makes me so happy because he's like, what are you going to do? Not release the movie and they're like oh no he's called our bluff <laughs> we could hire someone else they're all busy <laughs> why don't we hire a woman no <laughs> batman not batwoman that's why don't we a hire different a... character why don't we go method and hire a bat shut up Derek <laughs> <laughs> how are we going to get it into the costume it's too little <laughs> tiny bat flying around in the costume they made for Robert Pattinson <laughs> just really struggling to keep the mask up <laughs> <laughs> it would just look like you know that vine where it's like a potato for a yeah. <laughs> it's just that but it's like a little bat <laughs> just thought all the all the merch, uh, like merchandising and uh, promotional material they've just drawn like a little extra line on the P to make it Robert Battenson <laughs> oh no oh that would be really good um so as Bella is being lifted into the stretcher she tells us when they'd lifted me away from the car I had seen the deep dent in the tan car's bumper a very distinct dent that fit the contours of Edward's shoulders as if he had braced himself against the car with enough force to damage the metal frame. I like how she knows exactly, like, from a dent, she's like, that's Edward's shoulders. <laughs> I've studied, it's unmistakable. I've studied those obsessively. Um, she also tells us that... <laughs> Maybe he's got really fucked shoulders. Oh, no. 
Maybe he has bat wings. <laughs> Maybe that's He's a, a vampire. Play <laughs> it. <laughs> they fit his massive wings. Yeah. And it's just like, wait, he had wings? There's been no hint about him having wings. And I can see the outline of the big cape that he always wears. I could see the outline of his pointy, pointy 80s zoot suit. <laughs> see, I, w- I think that would make things way more interesting if, if the in all of this, all the vampires were dressed like Bela Lugosi, Dracula vampire like big cape with a big collar like popped up with a medallion there's a lot to say as well about like the different aesthetics of vampires throughout history because like obviously we have those like real like um you know like the dracula one is a very particular style that's become synonymous rather with like vampires rather than just like with that era Hmm. so it's like the black cape with the red lining and the high collar, white shirt, black trousers. Yeah. Like, the kind of styled back hair with the very serious V-shape down at the front. Widows. Yeah, the widow, the aggressive widow's peak. Um, but then you get, like, other films where you get, like... And then, like, Interview of the Vampire goes in a kind of more frilly, lacy direction. Yeah. But then you get, like your 80s vampire movies like um, Lost Boys Lost Boys, and they all do the new romantic style hmm. which I think is awesome where they all have like huge hair and leather jackets and like Star who is the female vampire has like the really long tiered skirts that people had and like little camisole and they just Statement look they earring. just look so cool um, and I, I guess it's just because of like she tried to make them fashionable when she wrote Twilight. And, like, the fashion then... So bad. Well, the fashion then was so bad, but it's kind of now transitioned into... where I guess there's... Between now and then, there was a real movement towards, like, minimalism. Like, mm. looking good in a black t-shirt and jeans. And I know that's not across the, um, across the piece, because you get, like really exciting fashion like you know there's people like Orville Peck yeah (laughs) he's out there like Billy Porter is out there Vivian Westwood is still alive and doing her thing but I think what she was trying to do was like that kind of thing that was very in vogue in the 90s to 2000s a little less of the 90s but like the 2000s late 2000s where like the richer you were the less fancy your clothes were in a way like it would just be like a really nice button-up shirt Hmm. plain white a really nice pair of jeans a really nice t-shirt and you would spend like way more money than you should ever spend on those items but i you know it feels like a shame that edward isn't she was trying to make it appealing to teenagers who dress like that as well Mm -hmm. but i'm just like oh it's kind of a shame that there's not a fashion beyond like the color silver yeah (laughs) it's not even like you don't even think of like converse or vans or doc martens like it's not even something that's maybe a little bit edgier it's literally just like gray or shiny gray oh and we also at some point need to talk about the outfit that bella wears to her first day of school because she wears like an oversized green style it's cut like a bowling shirt with white piping with like a white long sleeve underneath it and everyone's like who's this girl it's like i don't know but that that is not it (laughs) (laughs) she also notices that edward's siblings are looking on angrily but they don't seem concerned for edward's safety 
which is a lot, again, a lot for her to get from a single look. Mm. Bella the detective is out in force again. Um, Give her a podcast. She will solve this crime. <laughs> She's a white woman. She could solve any murder. <laughs> Bella does a lot of looking at people and being like, it's almost as if, and it's like, no, that is exactly what it is. Like, it's almost yeah. as if his shoulders were in that car. No, that's, they that's were. Happened. Yeah. It's almost as if his his siblings weren't concerned about his safety. No, they, they just weren't. Um, it's almost as if 20 years ago he had an experience with the colour red now whenever he sees it he looks listfully off to the left and thinks about his past loves and it's just like no that's just the author you're just telling us just, if you're gonna just tell us facts Stephanie just just tell us so she goes to the ER and here's another moment of Bella being a bit remember when we were getting really irritated because she was like oh all these boys are being like overly helpful yeah she now, does it again. All these medical professionals are being overly not, good at their jobs. Not quite. She says, I was trapped in the ER waiting, harassed by Tyler's constant apologies and promises to make it up to me. No matter how many times I tried to convince him I was fine, he continued to torment himself. So Tyler was the guy in the mm. in the car. Um and I was just like Well, yeah, like if I hit someone with my car or nearly hit someone with my car and they had to be taken to hospital, like I would be apologising. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she's just like, oh, his apologies were so annoying. And you're like, you both, like, nearly died. Like, maybe <laughs> he's just, like, struggling to cope with that. But it's like, she kind of sees herself as above shock. Like, <laughs> like I had emotionally, you know, I'd, I'd survived I, this incident. I, so I obviously processed I've... this near-death encounter. Yeah, but it's like, oh, well, I was fine, so why would I be upset? And it's like, well, you could have died. Like, most humans would be upset. She feels very switched off from the situation yeah. in a way that I'm like, is that a state of shock? But she never seems to bring it up. So it's just like, oh, well, I was safe, so obviously why would I be upset? And to me, that's actually quite odd. Yeah. She just seems she seems really angry about the fact they've put in her neck brace to the point where she takes it off and throws it under the bed. And I was like, well, if your spine is damaged... Yeah, I don't... Why would they put a neck brace on her if they didn't have any sign of spinal injury? Because Edward said she hit her head really hard. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. And, like, when they're lifting you, if you've had, like, an accident like that, they've got to, like, keep you as immobile as possible because if they move something, yeah. suddenly it could... And I guess no one's double-checked. Well, they've just put her in the ambulance and taken yeah. to the hospital. So. Fair enough. And as soon as they're like, oh, you seem okay. She's just like, rip that neck brace <laughs> off. Um, which is like, again, I feel like if someone put me in a neck brace, I'd be like, okay, I'll just wear this until you tell me not to wear it. Yeah. Um, but my dad is a nurse, so maybe I have an overly keen appreciation for, you know, medical knowledge over how you look in a neck brace. After a few minutes, Edward comes over with a doctor... Cullen. But that's the name of the vampire kids. <laughs> Dr. Carlisle. Carlisle Cullen. He was young. He was blonde. And he was handsomer than any movie star I'd seen. Carlisle Cullen. I like... I actually... this. It's like you hear the name separately and they're alright, but Carlisle Cullen... I actually quite like Carlisle as a name for a fictional character because obviously Carlisle is a town. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's something kind of nice about that. But I don't like the idea of people then actually naming their kid Carlisle after this character. 
Yeah. It's a weird character to name your child after. Yeah. I would be interested to see what subset of Twilight fans' favourite character is Carlisle. I think it would be the mums. Because it'd be like, oh, he's a doctor. <laughs> he's a doctor. <laughs> he's a doctor and, and he raised all these kids. He's good with these children. <laughs> and he's so handsome. Carlisle poster or like a Carlisle calendar and it's just 12 <laughs> shots of him like being a doctor because he's not really in the movies that much yeah he's kind of important in the books but he's not like I mean he, he does have some decent scenes in the movie looking concerned over his shoulder <laughs> in it's a also, white coat it's also that thing that like when I um when I first read these books uh, it was I borrowed them off a friend and she was really upset about the fact that they were making them into movies and I was quite excited but she was like I just don't think this is a film that's ever going to be a satisfactory adaptation because when you read these books it's like they're so handsome you can't um, or so beautiful like how are you going to get an actor to do that because actors are normal people whereas there's something supernatural about how attractive these people are Mm. Um, and I kind of thought that was a bit odd at the time because I thought that to me like Robert Pattinson was quite handsome and, and but also the way his face is in that he's very angular mm. he does look like he would you know you can't imagine him being a werewolf but you can imagine him being a vampire yeah um and then like Carlisle is talked about like this and the guy that plays Carlisle I'm not saying he's like unattractive but he's, he's just a, a guy he's just a guy <laughs> <laughs> they did reach a point and it's like the way they got Michael Sheen and like dressed him up is like he, he looks like just a guy. <laughs> he looks like a dad who got way too into Halloween. Into Halloween. <laughs> or like he wanted to take his his daughter to a Twilight convention and he oh, misread. And his daughter plays Jane, the little one of the Volturi. Well, I was gonna say that like <laughs> in this version, the Volturi don't exist, and it's just like he he want his daughter wanted to go to a little vampire convention, and she was dressed as like Bella or something, and she told him that he could dress as like Carlisle, and he was like vampire cool, and he just came in the big robes and everything, <laughs> and it's just like. Dad, you're so annoying. You're meant to be in like a pea coat. Where's the grey? As the films go on, though, it, it does become more and more true because they just hired more people who are like really good actors, but they're not. Ne- but again, it's like that thing that they're never going to be supernaturally beautiful. So you just have all these vampires bumming around that you're like, these are just people. These are just guys who are pale. <laughs> just pale people. Just pale boys. Um. So, so Doctor Colin, I really. He's one of the characters that I really want to like because he's fatherly and, you know, like, I feel like the parents in Twilight are have more layers to them than the teens. Hmm. And I kind of like this idea of Carlisle, like a vampire who has been around humans so long, he's decided to become, you know, he was a doctor and has made himself immune to the smell of blood so you can continue that. Yeah. Um, I think there's something... There's something really cool about that idea and it's that thing again with Stephanie Meyer that often her most interesting characters aren't the ones that we spend most of the time with. Yeah. But I also, I mean, I guess I do appreciate this attention to back story characters in a, in a way. So Dr. Cullen says that she can go home 
and Bella is kind of pretending to be naive and saying, oh, it was just so lucky that Edward was right next to me um, and, and, you know, could save me because he was standing next to me. Mm-hmm. And she can tell that when Dr. Cullen reacts that, that he's kind of in on the lie. Yeah. So he also knows that Edward wasn't right next to her. But Bella ain't no snitch. Because <laughs> Be- Well, I think she's playing naive to see... She's playing him. She's a detective. She's playing him. Yeah. Um. So, Bella then kind of goes to Edward and is like, "Well, you promised that you would tell me. Mm-hmm. You know, if I pretended to go along with this." And Edward's like, "I have no idea what you're talking about," and tries to shake her off so he doesn't have to explain. And changes tack and says he doesn't owe her anything because um he saved her life and she has obviously just hit her head too hard and doesn't remember anything which I understand why he's doing that because he doesn't want to tell her about vampires but also that's gaslighting yeah it's just straight up <laughs> gaslighting this woman this, he's this like, young girl he's like what are you talking about this didn't happen like you're crazy I guess he's trying to do that so he doesn't have to tell her that he's a vampire or explain how he moves so fast blah 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 but it's also like if that took hold he's like rooting yeah. He's like being like, you can't trust your own perception. Which I guess in his head is fine because she just, hit, she just quote, hit her head. But also, I appreciate that Bella's like, nah, nah, like I remember that happening. Yeah. Because it is a bit like, it's pretty not okay to make a woman doubt her perception. Yeah. Like this. Especially. Be better, Edward. Yeah. Just be better. Don't gaslight people. So Bella naturally really gets kind of irritated because he's like gaslighting her and she just says what she's thinking which which is that all of a sudden he was right next to her and he pushed the car off of her even though um, she recognises that sounds insane and that you know hmm. how how did he manage to leave dents in it which I appreciate she's like no I won't accept that you're that I just hit my head like I saw what I saw and I want an explanation yeah um, even though her version of events is crazy you know Hmm. she is right but it's i'm glad that she's just like nah i saw this tell me what happened um but she gets so worked up that she's kind of like close to tears and i'm like well yeah because he's gaslighting yeah (laughs) and he's like well nobody's gonna believe you again another kind of like isolation thing yeah but she's like i don't i don't care i i don't want to know to tell other people I want to know for me. Like, I want to know what happened. And that's presented as, like, a bizarre thing. Like, why would she want to know if she wasn't going to go and tell other people? And I'm like, well, because he's gaslit her and told her that she's (laughs) hit her head. She's obviously like, well, no, tell me the truth. I want to know what happened. So I know whether or not to doubt my perception of reality. Also, a supernatural phenomenon, I'm still waiting for the bees, has just occurred where, like, a a guy has just like punched a truck out the way seemingly without any effort and taking no injury i feel like i would want to know how that happened as well <laughs> yeah like i feel like i would want to know like did i hallucinate what did actually happen like i can imagine if something traumatic happened to me and there was parts i couldn't explain rationally mm. even if i wasn't going to ever tell another soul if someone saw more than that than me i'd be like well i want to know yeah. But also, when she's like, oh, I won't tell, I wasn't going to tell anybody, you know, that's presented as really odd. 
But also, she could just say that and then tell people. Like, that's a... Like, yeah. people lie to get knowledge, you know? Yeah. He says, I hope you enjoy disappointment. Fuck you, Edward. <laughs> Fuck you. I don't know. I It made me think of... <laughs> get used to disappointment. <laughs> yeah, it made me think of that line Princess from... Bride. Princess Bride. But yeah, just like... I hope you enjoy disappointment. When I read that in the book, I could hear him saying it in the film and I was like, oh, wow. The years have passed by, but some things never change. I just want to throw up on him. Well, it's just like... (laughs) Okay, I hope you get used to disappointment. (laughs) Just retching his face. Why do you hate that so much? Is it just because it's passive-aggressive? It's just... it's It's the response of someone who has way too much power. I guess. And not enough wit to use it i i just i was so caught up in my head about how i could hear him saying it in his head and the little breath he does after in the film as he moves past her that i was like you know like the years have passed but there is still a huge chunk of my brain neurons and pathways hundreds of connections more than in atoms in the universe dedicated to this series and the movie adaptation <laughs> like i'm really glad i don't believe you know when Sherlock Holmes is like, oh, my brain is like an attic and you can't put too much furniture in there. Yeah. Like, we now know that's not true. Uh-huh. You don't have, like, a limited brain space and then you just start forgetting stuff. Um, it's just about, like, what you think about most often. Those pathways are kind of more thoroughly mm-hmm. traversed. So they're more likely to be, like, a motorway than a, a pebbled path. <laughs> because you've <laughs> gone down that road a hundred times and your yeah. brain is like, we know this way. This is a fast way between these thoughts. But I'm really glad it's not, like, limited brain space because it's just all there <laughs> the whole movie <laughs> the whole every the, all the words to the soundtrack yeah so much of the book it's it's still there this really it's been ages <laughs> this moment of edward being a fuck <laughs> yeah um want to slap him that's the response that would get get a slap from well me. bell's response is she turns around and says uh, why did you even bother? Like letting her die is just a total normal thing to do. Yeah. Like letting her die is just. Well, <laughs> it would have been easier for you, so you should have just done it. Maybe this is like that famous Bella sarcasm. Mm. That famous Bella wit. Yeah, the sarcasm that nobody in Forks can understand. You know when Game of Thrones was in its heyday, and mm-hmm. you know it's like they were pumping out more merchandise than they could keep up with. Yeah. They did have a book and it was like the tiny book of... Uh... Tyrion? Tyrion. <laughs> you just looked at me and your eyes started bulging because you couldn't remember. You didn't know where that was going. That's how culturally irrelevant Game of Thrones has become. The tiny... Uh, also, calling it the tiny book of Tyrion is real It was like the upsetting. tiny book of Tyrion wisdom and it was like all his quotes. But like, That's obviously... That's saying because he's a little person. <laughs> yeah. But it was a little book, and it was like all his like quotes, and it's kind of one of those books that people buy as a gift, mm. like for Christmas. You put it in your stocking, and one of those books that is not far off the books people keep in their toilet. You know, some people yeah. have books in their toilet. Your parents have a like a little basket of magazines in their toilet, and every time I go in, I like massively stub my toe on the basket, and I once like <laughs> wrenched a toenail off. And then I, yeah, <laughs> with that basket and it was like in the middle of the night so I couldn't make any noise and then when we were having breakfast the next day your brother was like your toe looks really sore and I was like it was that basket in the toilet and he was like oh. 
every time. But yeah, it was like the Tyrion Book of Wisdom. Mm-hmm. And it was like all these quotes by Tyrion. Um, and I'm just imagining, could we do that with Bella? And it could just be all her classic jokes. Yeah. Such oh. classics as... Never look a gift engine in the mouth. My mother is part albino. The feel of the institution. Why did you even bother to let me live? <laughs> See, when you say it like that, it just yeah, is bleak. It's bleak. I felt like that was peak emo Bella moment. Yeah. Um. So, Charlie picks Bella up from the hospital and he drives her home. And she gets really annoyed at him because he phoned her mum. Which, again, normal thing to do. Yeah. It's like, why are these people... Ma- Bella seems to constantly live in a state of, why are these people all around me making a fuss? Yeah. And it's like, because they're concerned about you. Because you were just in a car crash. I did read this really interesting thing, and I want to read more about it because I'm, I don't have autism, so it's really not for me to make these claims or, um, you know diagnose anyone Mm -hmm. but i have read some like blog posts and some writing and i've watched a youtube video where autistic people have said that they think that bella is autistic Mm -hmm. and there's loads of reasons that we'll go into this later like in one of the books it's revealed that her brain operates on a different wavelength that makes her different to other people i think we've we've talked about this before because we were talking about it in relation to her aversion to rain yeah so she's like so averse to the rain and the snow it's like almost a sensory thing to me where it's like she literally cannot she carries her folder around so no one hits with a snowball and she's really like she talks about it so fixatedly it makes me think that like there's a sensory element Mm. to it too but also like they have spoken about the fact that she often just doesn't understand what people are doing so it's like she doesn't understand why people are making a fuss and putting a neck brace on her because she's just been in a car crash Mm. um she doesn't understand why people are having a snowball fight when it snows. She doesn't... Uh, even though she tells us her mum is her best friend, she arrives in Forks and forgets to email her for, like, three days. Yeah. And I'm not saying that every single... Like, we really need to be careful when we say stuff like this. Not every single autistic person is like this. And I don't want to claim that um, a character I'm making fun of for being... You know, like, when we poke fun at Bella and say, oh, like, she's poorly written because she's written, like, a 40-year-old woman and a teenager. I really don't want to say that's an accurate depiction of autistic people. This is something I'm reporting secondhand Mm -hmm. from autistic people. And I will link the the notes below. And I would be... I would really encourage you to go and do the reading because, obviously, we're not the experts on that at all. And I really don't Mm -hmm. want to say um, she's good representation at all. You know, there's loads of other characters that... um, no. have if, been if, written by autistic people anything, to be autistic if anything and, it seems like an accidental representation rather than like a an it seems in, a fully like intended... yeah it seems like she's accidentally hit her hit these these ideas yeah. um and another one is like obviously women with autism are significantly less likely to be diagnosed and that's because of something that's called masking which is like women are more adept at kind of fitting into social situations because it's kind of expected of us Mm. but then they might go home and they might have like a bit of a breakdown or they might have or they might really struggle because they're finally in their personal space where they don't have to keep up that mask yeah and i thought a lot about like bella who was like kind of coasting through the day but then seems to go home and cry a lot Mm. um but yeah, I really don't want to... I, I don't want to diagnose her as this, but there's just moments like this where she... And, you know, 
Stephanie Meyer didn't intend this so it is because of Stephanie Meyer's writing instead of her being a well-written autistic character and again always go and read autistic characters actually written by autistic people and this is why we mm-hmm. need more autistic people not just in front of screens um, and on the cover of books but actually behind them as the writers and as the producers and as the actors and as yeah. the um, directors and you know every level we need more people with brains that aren't just the neurotypical ones um, but yeah I'm just really fascinated by these moments because I wonder what Stephanie Meyer's process was I wonder why she makes Bella like this. Is it just to really hammer home that she is an outcast character? Or is there another layer to it? Like, why does Bella just not understand? And is it, you know, maybe it's just a teenage thing like, oh, I can't believe you called mum and now I'm going to have to deal with mum panicking thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just doesn't, she fundamentally doesn't understand. People seem to react with such more heightened emotions than she does and she just doesn't seem to understand them. Yeah. And maybe it's just supposed to be like an antisocial thing, which again, you know, again, I'm not trying to equate that with autism, um, but it just, yeah, I would be really fascinated to read more um, from neuroatypical people and writers about what they think about this. And I will link um, the video that I first heard about this theory in, but I'll also link the articles that I read afterwards um, because it's it's really, really fascinating to me how writing can accidentally create characters without intent Hmm. um um so bella then has to phone her mum and her mum is kind of like begging her to come home but bella is now at the stage where she officially wants to stay in forks there's a mystery to be solved that's literally what i wrote doug she wants to unravel the mystery of edward yeah detective bella is on the case well i think maybe it's like two doses boy is hot and one dose What's going on? Yeah. Bella really could start a true crime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's just her to herself and she doesn't publish it. But <laughs> yeah. Into a tape recorder. <laughs> um, and that night she goes to bed and she tells us, and this is the last line of the chapter, that that night she had her first dream of Edward. <laughs> well, we'll have to discover what kind of dream it was in the next chapter tease <laughs> so what are you thinking Doug we're, we're officially we're three chapters in yeah that was a shorter chapter you've made it through another one what are you thinking so far uh, you know what you, you, you know Ruddy what like it's not not too bad actually as a setup for I expected a lot worse I think is what I, what I'm meaning to say there wow Twilight, colon. I expected a lot worse. Yeah, that's my review. (laughs) Chapter 3 seems to be... uh, We we seem to be getting into it very quickly. Yeah, there was a bit more action there. I appreciate that it's not just a teenage book of looks and size. You know, there's a little bit of car Mm. chases, a little bit of intercontinental travel. Yeah. Bella could be Mr. International by Pitbull. (laughs) (laughs) New York, Miami. Worldwide. <laughs> Forks, Arizona, Rome. <laughs> no, it's not Rome, is it? It's like Florence. I mean, they filmed it in Florence, but I don't know where it actually is. <laughs> I mean, we're going to have to wait for the second book. Um, yeah. I'm really terrible at doing this one chapter at a time because my brain is just all over. <laughs> a huge part of my brain lives forever 
in the CGI baby. <laughs> just lives rent free in your mind. It's my sleep paralysis demon. <laughs> she looks so rubbery. Yeah. And with that, that's the end of um, today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. A huge thank you to the lovely Jack Hanks for composing such a gorgeous, silly... What a lad. What a yeah. legend. We literally were like... We sent him a bunch of uh, the Twilight soundtrack and he absorbed it all apparently and um i told him yeah i told him to go full matt bellamy on it and he really did so if you um if you're looking for a podcast uh music yourself or stuff like guitar lessons or just a really good musician we thoroughly recommend jack absolutely Um, i think his website is just jackhinks.co.uk but you can also find him on like every social media ever at Jack Kinks Music. Yeah. And um, do check out his podcast with the lovely Fiona Liddell. Yeah. Um, line check with Jack and Fee is really fun. And I think we get a shout out in the first episode. Yeah, because we're cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, you can go and follow me on Twitter at C. Wilson Poet. You can follow me at Doug Gary Poet. And we will see you the next time. For more Twilight. Bye.